On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Donald Fallon hasn't been seen since St. Patrick's Athletic late winner against uh, CSK Sofia uh, on Wednesday or Thursday night. He basically, I'm sure he was bouncing off the ceiling in whatever Berlin club uh, he was in at the time. And uh, we haven't seen sight nor sound of him since. Hopefully he's back in time for the return leg uh, in Tala. It's actually it's a shame that it's in Tala and not in Inchicor because uh, I'm sure Donald w- would love to have uh, seen it all happen in Inchicore. But no doubt uh, he'll be back on Terra Hibernia uh, next week and we'll talk to him then again. In the meantime, Damien Cordes is with us for this week's Hidden Histories. Damien, hello. Good to see you in studio. Good afternoon. We're going to talk about um, the <laughs> the. Sweet Shop Wars, which which sounds like it's the name of basically a kind of a War of the Buttons style sort of 90s romance movie about two people with like competing tuck shops. Uh, it's a little bit more significant than that. It was a bit more bad tempered <laughs> than that as well. Yeah. Well, the War of the Buttons was pretty bad tempered, if I remember correctly. <laughs> uh, but the, the preface to all of this uh, is something which happened 90 years ago this year. So we're good. The Sweet Shop Wars have their genesis in the 1932 general election. Yeah, they do. Um 1932 general election, uh, it returned uh, Fianna Fáil for the very first time and they immediately set about antagonising uh, the Brits. Wouldn't uh, be like them. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be like any of us in the 1930s in fairness. It seems <laughs> that, that it was the way of the world at the time. It, it certainly yeah. was, yeah. So um, one of the first shots in what was to become the economic war with Britain, which was essentially over land, but it, it drew in every aspect of the economy, including the uh, sweets the sweet shops and the, the Irish confectionery industry, which was actually quite important at the time. Uh, for something which became so adversarial, we should probably just rewind a little bit and talk about the election of 1932, because obviously the first general elections, particularly after partition, were fairly rough affairs. If, if 1932 gave rise to an economic war, was it a particularly tense election? It was tense, but it was not nearly as chaotic as uh, the election of 10 years earlier in 1922, which was conducted in just mayhem and murder and uh, was essentially the prelude to the civil war. I'd say in in the context of a country that had only just gotten over a bitter civil war and was actually facing down the barrel of effectively the anti-treaty side, the losing side of the civil war now taking power democratically 10 years later, I can't imagine that went down hugely well. But nonetheless, 1932, the election happens, uh, De Valera and Fianna Fáil take power, as you say, for the first time. And they start this drive for self-sufficiency, which then sparks the economic war. Fianna Fáil in power, they, yes. one of the first things they did was they doubled the uh, price of sweets being imported into the country. Why, now, sweets seems like an unlikely battleground if you're trying to sort of yes. do the whole four green fields thing. Why but sweets? The, the thing was that if you think about Ireland, you know, back then, there was little to do, you know, there was little to do by way of luxury. We had the cinema, we had the theatre, but really sweet, the sweet shop was one of the central places uh, to go or mm. to, to even to admire in it was the window shopping of its it day, was almost, the, yeah. And, and there were window dressing competitions during Dublin Civic Week. Uh, there were... The, the, window, the window display was... In many towns and villages, the window display of the sweet shop yeah. was the thing that you looked at to well, admire. And I, I suppose as well that if the, the cinema and the theatre were, were basically the, the only things that you could do, and of course there was large parts of the country that weren't electrified, so didn't really have a cinema at that point either, that actually the sweet shop or the idea of bringing in a bag of, of the 1930s version of Pick and Mix was yeah. probably like a, a large part of, of the social life of the country at that time. Oh, very much yeah. so. But the thing was that... Um, the sweet shop owners, they had a, a real attitude problem. Uh, they considered themselves, you know, upper crust and they considered their displays elegant and uh, to be admired. And they they aimed for high class uh, customers. Okay. 
And but anyway, to just go back to at the same time, while while they prided themselves or deluded themselves that they were you know, above the rest of society, yeah. essentially. Uh, they were very keen on getting cheap imports of mass manufactured sweets from England, which made them a much bigger profit than okay. the stuff that they sourced in Ireland, right. where it was far more hands-on and handmade, and therefore the profit margins were, were yeah, much yeah. Uh, lower. So the switch-up owners, when, when De Valera slapped on this tax, mm. which doubled the price of imports, uh, the switch-up owners made dire warnings about shortages of chocolate and confectionery. And they even, you know, embraced, they hated chewing gum uh, on the grounds that it was, you know, cheap and nasty. It was too working class and it was also a threat to public morality. And uh, but they 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 now embraced <laughs> chewing gum and they warned of a chewing gum shortage because of De Valera's uh, measures okay. because Ireland uh, could not manufacture chewing gum and Wrigley's now became delectable. So one thing I, I should sort of clarify about all of this that it, it, so the economic war is this idea of that you have loads of tariffs and, and a lot of people would think it's largely agriculture because you want Ireland to become more self sufficient and you want Irish traders to be able to produce their own stuff rather than being swamped by by cheaper foreign or British imports and then having Irish uh, industry wither on the vine but were sweets like they were an active target of that or was it just sort of collateral damage where there were there were levies on everything and sweets just got caught up or, no, or were sweets, sweets were, a, were a deliberate target they were a deliberate okay. target yeah. and uh, so there was pushback uh, from yeah. the the uh, Sweet shop sure, owners. Well, which you, I'm sure you can imagine, but that, so did, did that become then particularly when, when we say sweet shop wars? Did it become particularly violent or, or sort of terse in its own right? Was it, uh, like when we talk about like you know, if you're talking about the genteel sweet shop owners of Dublin and Ireland in the 1930s, it, it, they don't sound like the sort who would take up arms. But yet, I'm sure this became quite emotive in its own the, right. The, um, the sweet shop owners and manufacturers were uh, well, the the sweet shop owners anyway were uh, circulated with threatening letters from. Republicans basically saying, uh, you know, we're going to burn down your your shop if you uh, continue to sell imported uh, sweets. But and and uh, one group of uh, four men uh, accompanied by their three girlfriends, apparently it's three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I want to see where this four, is going. Four, yeah, four, four men um, armed with pistols. Uh, they they uh, turned up. Uh, in um, East Wall or North Wall in in Dublin, uh, with the aim of uh, burning down the uh, British-owned Cadbury's factory there. Um, but the, the, the so even were, though it would have been Irish-produced candy or chocolate because it was British-owned that they wanted to torch the place to the ground so that there wasn't a source of of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't believe these are even words I'm going to say of like British treats on Irish gums. That basically that wasn't <laughs> what was permitted at the time. Indeed, yeah. Um, but uh, it was uh, woefully misbegotten, and uh, the the four men and their three uh, girlfriends, um, they. Um, they wandered around North Wall asking for directions to the Cadbury's plant. <laughs> <laughs> Tor- torches in hand, probably. <laughs> Pistols in hand. And, and when, they, when they got there, they couldn't get in. So uh, according to one uh, press report, they satisfied themselves by setting fire to waste paper against the wall of the factory. Okay. So it was a sort of a, a more localised arson than what they were sort of intended to get away yeah. with. Um, one thing which is fascinating then about sweets or candy becoming a battleground, particularly in, in some of the connections economic war is that you know although this was the thing that you did if you're going to the theatre or if you're going to the cinema that obviously there's there's a lot of children who are inadvertently or maybe deliberately targeted by all of this because you'd think that maybe the primary consumers of sweets maybe not so in the 1930s but a large consumer of, of sweets would be children 
did this have a weird effect of like radicalizing or politicizing the children of the 1930s where they suddenly became live to, to geopolitics in a way that they previously weren't? Well, Fianna Fáil were already in the business of uh, politicizing uh, children. Uh, the, the new weapon that Fianna Fáil brought to the 1932 general election was the Irish press. Okay, and It had a children's page which was uh, run by Roddy the Rover, and uh, in the run-up to the election of 1932, he uh, ran a competition uh, asking kids what made them proud to be Irish. And uh, now I'm sure these letters were all made up yeah, anyway, as by was the, the or whatnot, tradition of yeah. the Irish press anyway. <laughs> but uh, one, one letter uh, he received in the competition was from a nine-year-old girl who said, quote, um, that what would make her mm. uh, proud to be Irish was, quote, uh, when the Free State and Northern Ireland are gone forever and we have our own little Ireland in one piece again. So this, this is the... <laughs> from the, the mouths of babes, eh? <laughs> from the mouths of babes. But now, the, the, so the Fianna Fáil had the Irish press as a weapon. Yeah. Uh, the Irish Confectioners Association had their own publication, which was even more hardline okay, uh, than, right. than the Irish press. And uh, I, I, for um, my book, uh, You'll Ruin Your Dinner about Irish confectionery, uh, going back since the foundation of the state. That, that's not I, just him, by the way, you know, warning me about scoffing some of the sweets that are here in studio. That is the title of Damien's book. Which back to a plug in a moment, yeah. But I, I went through all the uh, publications. Uh, th- they had a monthly magazine. Okay. I went through years of these publications and uh, I drew up um, a confectioners and shop sweet, sweet shop owners uh, enemies list okay, from this. Right. And so what, what was blacklisted by the sweet shop uh, oh, purveyors oh, well, of the 1930s? Oh, okay, their enemies list, and this is just a, a shortened version, was... <laughs> Door-to-door salesmen or okay. door-to-door salespeople who went and, as you were saying, uh, children were they they targeted schools. They turned up in school uh, schoolyards, yeah. uh, flogging sweets. It's uh, the, the no fry zone attack of the nineteen thirties, basically. You're trying to keep the kids away from the stuff <laughs> on their doorstep. Precisely. Yeah. They, they turn up at offices. They turn up uh, door-to-door in the new uh, suburban estates around Dublin. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, next on their enemies list was. Um, People selling sweets from the the windows of the front room of their houses, and oh. there was one famous one uh, in Drumcondra, uh, right beside uh, it was a, a house, uh, just a domestic house, uh, beside the Cat and Cage pub, which is still yes, there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they would they did a roaring trade every Saturday morning, selling sweets out the front room window mm. to uh, kids going to the cinema that was just down the road. Okay, so the, it, it's almost like the you, know, the you used to see, I don't think you see them anymore, but you, back in the day when you could buy bars for four bars a pound or, or three bars a pound in the 1990s when inflation kicked in, when I was going to Park Tolton to watch Meath play in the National Football League matches, that you'd have the people who lived in the terraced houses up on, on, on the fair green around Navin all suddenly coming out with bars of chocolate that yeah. they had inside. This is the, the enemy of the confectioners of the 1930s because you're, you're undercutting the formal shops. They, went, they okay. wanted it. Um, Okay, next on their enemies list was Soviet Swedes. Uh, the USSR uh, were trying to raise hard currency okay. uh, by selling sweets abroad. Yeah. And this was a no-no, um, a godless communism. Yeah, oh, no. No, awful um, stuff, yeah. They hated um, mass advertising. Uh, Mars arrived in Ireland. The Mars Bar yeah. arrived in Ireland in 1932 uh, with mass uh, poster advertising. Oh, right. They okay. didn't like that. This was not yeah. window displays. This was mm. in your face. 
Um, Amara's a day sells the local trade away. They hated uh, bankers because the, ba- <laughs> the banks. <laughs> Sorry, don't we all? Sorry. Sorry. What, what was specific? But they about they the had a specific reason, yeah. which was that they, in 1932, they reprimanded uh, one of their uh, outlets for supplying uh, the local bank with sweets. And the banks were selling sweets over the counter to customers coming in to conduct <laughs> their business. Sorry. sorry, I just, sorry. God be with the days where they'd give you a little Henry Hippo savings bank or whatever. They need to bribe you with actual sweets to come yeah, in and go. And, yeah. Oh, sorry, I want to pay off the mortgage, but yeah. here, have, have a mint yeah. humbug while you're at it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they hated children. They, they were just, they, they were, you know, scruffy and okay. they, didn't, they didn't have money to spend, essentially. Okay, right. They hated Woolworths. Uh, Woolworths oh. arrived here in the uh, early 20th century and they had two big stores, I think, on Grafton Street and Henry Street. Okay. They did a roaring trade, yeah. selling cheap boiled sweets but and also ice cream. Uh, oh. And there were queues because, you know, and uh, Woolworths actually gave... Hughes Brothers, Dairies, HP, Ice okay. Cream, their start, but right. more of that. Um, they hated cigarettes because it took away money from sweets. Okay. And they right. really hated, uh, in the 1930s, the perm. The permanent so- wave, <laughs> which was the... the, the, the <laughs> sorry, the, the, the sorry new- this has taken an unexpected oh, pivot here. Yeah. They said, so the, the confectioners of Ireland had an issue with people getting their hair permed. Women. Okay. Yeah. Because it was money that they weren't spending on sweets. Yeah. And uh, there was, again, there was an editorial in the uh, trademark yeah. of, of the association. Yeah. Uh, quote, um, young girls who a year ago thought nothing of spending five or six shillings a week on chocolates and sweets are now spending one shilling. And they they complained that this was going straight into the pockets of the hairdressers. <laughs> <laughs> this is an aspect of the sweet shop wars I, I did not expect. Another aspect of all of this that I didn't expect actually was how, and, and you've mentioned it there with the arrival of Woolworths and some of the, the stuff that they sold, was that this was the coming of age of ice cream in yeah. Ireland because there basically wasn't, there wasn't an ice cream culture in Ireland until Fianna Fáil came to power. Well, no, there was an ice cream <laughs> culture and it was mainly c- uh, contained in Dublin and Belfast because that's where the electricity was. Okay. And Therefore, uh, the the freezer freezing was. Um, So um, at the start of the century, uh, ice cream was mainly confined to ice cream parlours run mainly by Italians. And it was small, small time. But um, once uh, free, the uh, ESB electricity started to spread, there was uh, the ability to freeze uh, milk. And there was always uh, a summer surplus uh, of milk. And... Milk freezing equals ice cream. But this meant that there was a huge growth in the 20s and 30s of rogue ice cream salesmen. (laughs) And and it was the equivalent (laughs) of... There's another turn of phrase I didn't think would be going there, but that's all right. It was the equivalent of bathtub gin. And it really was. I mean, the hygiene was appalling. People were making it in their garages, in lockups, in caravans. And they were making it in baths. And the thing was, because the ESB supply was dodgy, mm. uh, stuff, uh, ice cream batches were, were getting uh, frozen, yeah. and then unfrozen and okay, frozen again. Right. So there were mass uh, outbreaks yeah. uh, in Ireland and Britain uh, through the That's 20s kind of and 30s poisoning. Of, of food poisoning, um, uh, E. coli, dysentery or whatever. Oh, and, and From the, ice cream. Yeah. yeah. And the thing was that the uh, confectioners of Ireland they had a big problem with, and if there was one thing they hated more than um, the rogue yeah. ice cream man, it was the media 
informing people about the rogue ice cream men because <laughs> it gave the industry okay. a bad name. So what? So they, so they were more interested rather than than in uh, you know the competition. They were more interested in what suppressing the reporting of very much so. Yeah, and uh, I mean the I mean this you is know, they, they, you know there this was a smiling girl on the on the. Uh, cover of of all these boxes yeah. and uh, of chocolates and and on all the posters and yeah. all this, these people were horrible, horrible people. The the manufacturers, the you know, smiling girls had you know had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And uh, you know, the callousness of their approach was summed up in uh, one editorial in their trade mag again. Uh, after uh, two hundred people had been poisoned in one outbreak in. England, which okay. was traced down to, you know, a typhoid Mary figure. Okay, right. uh, the editorial, uh, one line on the editorial began, considering that only one child died. <laughs> sure, it's Grant. And that's kind of sure there was only one. Sure, listen, we've loads. It's expendable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's yeah. a war coming down the tracks by the end of this decade. There's loads yeah. more going on. And to the ice cream wars uh, in the north uh, were a sectarian war, essentially, because... Oh. Uh, the Italians so, were, had okay. still uh, had their stranglehold in, in the north on on their parlours. Okay, and, and the Italians are Catholics. And the Italians were Catholics, okay. and their big selling day was a Sunday. Uh, I'm tradi- yeah, yeah, traditionally, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. Sunday was the big day for yeah. ice cream. Because uh, you go along and get one after mass, yeah. Yeah, right. and uh, the authorities up there took a very dim view of uh, trading, any sort of trading on the okay. Sabbath. And they just came down, they kept... Making yeah. up uh, these uh, bylaws uh, to yeah. suppress, to suppress uh, sales, the, the Italian ice cream uh, trade. But because the money was there, the, the yeah. Italians kept s- selling, and so the, every you know Monday morning mm. after the Sunday, uh, the courts would be full of Italian ice cream sellers, <laughs> and the, the, the yeah. Northern Whig newspaper actually poked fun at the picturesque foreign names that that were turning up in court. <laughs> There's so many vowels, lads. We don't have enough newsprint to print all these things. <laughs> yeah. So then we're running out of time, but yeah. I do want to just tease this. Out then, so then, so if it's a big issue north of the border, I would have thought. I mean, I I remember the moral panic of the nineties when Dunn's doors started opening on Sundays, and people were going, "Oh my God, what's happening? Our day of rest." So I would have thought that actually we we were pretty intolerant of ice cream sales or even any sort of Sunday sales in this side of the island as well. So what was that like in the 1930s or was there much of an issue there? Oh, no, no, no. And, uh, you know, the 1932 was the best year ever for Irish ice cream because of uh, a couple of things. The, the big, big event was the 1932 Eucharistic Congress okay. uh, where, where, you know, I think something like 60,000 uh, senior Catholic figures okay. from around the world yeah. converged on Dublin. And uh, with all their followers and mm. uh, every... And a fair uh, few Italians, I'm sure. <laughs> <It's always laughs> a lot of Italians, <laughs> yeah. And uh, every, there was a, Dublin was just packed. You, you couldn't get a room. And uh, everybody wanted ice cream. They were all... The, and the Irish wanted ice yeah. creams. The, all the visitors wanted ice creams. And um, Hughes Brothers, again, who'd yeah. previously um, nabbed the Woolworths contract, they managed to get... Uh, the yeah. Congress yeah. Uh, contract and they were supplying ice cream door to door. It was the making of HB ice cream yeah. and it was the best summer ever for ice cream and it was followed up uh, straight straight away by the Tolchin yeah. Games Oh yes. uh, yeah, yeah. which were on their last legs but yeah. they were still a boost to ice yeah. cream sales. Uh, fo- following on from the 1932 Olympics it was still a big thing at the time. Uh, we are completely out of time. Your, your book about all of this because uh, I'm just in the 15 or 20 minutes we've been talking about this is fascinating. The book is called You'll Ruin Your Dinner. You'll uh, ruin is, your is dinner. Is it out now, out shortly or 
it uh, no, no, one? it's it's been out a few years at this stage, but it's still available. Oh well, I'll, I'll be going to track one down. Uh, Damien Corliss, this is fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for coming in and telling us about the sweet shop wars and the ice cream wars of nineteen thirty-two. Don't say you don't get variety on this program. I'll tell you that much. On the record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at eleven. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. It all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.